0: Copper has had a tremendous run over the last year, climbing 100% from its uh, lows in 2020. But can this trend continue? We're talking about potential headwinds and tailwinds for the market with Johnny Kovacevic, CEO of Copper Bank. Johnny has been bullish in copper for quite a while and his calls have so far been correct. Johnny, welcome back to the show. You have a very important announcement for Copper Bank, but we'll get to that towards the end of the interview. But first, I want to talk about China selling metals right now. Now, this is the third batch of strategic reserves that the government is releasing into the market. China has announced that they're selling 150,000 tons of metals on September 1st. Part of that will be aluminum, part of that zinc, and part of that will be copper. So, how much of the selling that they've been doing has contributed to the sell-off that we've seen in the copper price since April? Well, nice to be back on the show, David. And I, when I tap you on the
1: shoulder on these things, it's always like a bit of a report card. We're gonna come through Labor Day and these you know low volumes that for people that watch this show, the, that we've seen throughout the, sort of the, the juniors and the developers, I think that's gonna wake up. So your question is, what's going on with China, who everyone knows is, is a pervasive user of all the industrial metals, and they're the, the single largest consumer of almost every commodity. Um, the copper market is 25 million tons and growing, and it's the, this CAGR growth rate is going to be something that I believe is going to be spectacular, and it's going to surpass all other sort of mega cycles as we go through this pivot into electrification. Everyone knows that. We've already talked about that. But why are they selling their strategic reserves of metals and copper particularly? So this has happened over three batches. They told the market... Number one copper prices went to four dollars and eighty-two cents a pound, way through the all-time high, but there was no euphoria in the market. There was no ebullience. And we went into this, what has now been a mini bear market. So all these different um, shares that people follow, all the way up from Freeport McMoran to companies like Copper Bank. It's because they when they told the market that they're gonna sell that first batch, you know. Nobody in the world wants to pay high prices for copper. Nobody. There's not one fabricator. Just think about it. Who celebrates a high copper price? So they told the market that we want to mitigate speculation. We think the price is too high and we're going to sedate the market by selling. It was like 20,000 tons. Then they did a further 30,000 tons. And now they're doing this this third round, which is 30,000 tons of metal. And copper is currently trading about nine thousand five hundred dollars mm-hmm. a ton. So what is that? That's about two hundred and what eighty million dollars as a trade. But why would they do that? You know, this is a commodity that is going to be increasingly important. And so the real question is, how much total uh, strategic reserves do the Chinese actually have? This is a bit of an opaque number. I don't think anyone's going to tell you the exact number. And I think we need to compare it to. You know the greater economies how much do they have in petroleum reserves and how much do they have in copper reserves and in particularly what's going on in china and i'd like to dig into those details in your next baton next series of questions
0: absolutely so let's t- uh, first question i have regarding this is that uh i'm reading this Bloomberg article and it says that the reserves bureau has so far released a total of two hundred seventy thousand tons of Uh, of not just copper but also aluminum and other base metals as well as part of Beijing's wider initiative to quote unquote stabilize prices so you're right they do think that the commodities have rallied too far too much this year I'm wondering though why sell their strategic reserves don't they need this copper I mean I can understand if they're not buying any more copper because of the prices at where they're currently at but why sell what you already have
1: well, it's, it's almost like a spoof in the market, but this third go-around, it hasn't really worked. The first time, copper prices went down to about four, $4.05. It was in three days. There was a dramatic sell-off. Once again, who wants to pay a lot for copper? Nobody. So the, the, the tide went out and everyone went hand-to-mouth for those few days. And in this go-around, the price actually has went up. It didn't go down. So that uh, auction should have occurred yesterday. And you, you ask yourself, well, how much Copper does actually China consume. So the total yeah. copper market is 25 million tons and growing just over that. China's about uh, just over 10 million tons. So each single day, uh, the Chinese economy is consuming some 27,000 tons of copper metal. It We believe, and from the sources that I follow, and this is numerous sources, the the, the off warrant or, or, or hidden reserves would be about five hundred thousand tons in China. Could be a little bit more, could be a little bit less so if they're using twenty-seven thousand tons a day that would imply they've got about 17 18 19 20 days of their of their consumption in strategic reserves yes. this is a rounding error this is nothing compare this to the oil market who are the three biggest importers of oil well america when they were um before the big oil renaissance they were always the biggest oil importer but it goes between china and, and america And the chinese had some one over 1 billion barrels of oil in their strategic petroleum reserves the united states has the capacity and in fact they have that in storage about 750 million barrels of oil in strategic petroleum reserves the japanese have about 350 400 million barrels namely we're talking about 200 days in in these various strategic petroleum reserves, maybe a little bit less than that. And this all came from the the first oil embargo where countries were scrambling and and the price of oil shot up. So there was this understanding, if you're a country that is a net importer of oil, you should have at least 90 days of strategic reserves. And most countries have 90 days or far more than that. So let's go back to copper. They've got, splitting hairs, 17, 18, 19 days, and they're selling this commodity and, but they're going to have to buy this back so if you if you if you think bigger picture which is exactly how the chinese think in the next five years and let's assume their 10 million tons of annual consumption is growing probably six seven percent in china more than the global average they're going to consume 53 54 million tons of copper in the next five years and they are going to consume this they're, they're electrifying more than any other economy so when you look at this ridiculous twenty seven thousand 000 ton or, or 27 Um, 30,000 tons of metal that they've sold now a third time. This is not sustainable. It's not sustainable.
0: So, Johnny, going back to the 150,000 tons of metals that uh, China is selling. So, 70,000 tons of it is aluminum, 50,000 tons zinc, 30,000 tons copper. So, you're saying that of the 30,000 tons uh, that they're selling, it's only a fraction of their total strategic reserves of copper. So, they're not selling their entire stock. That makes sense to me. Now, what I'm wondering is at what point they're going to stop selling their strategic reserves. They're trying to move the market downward. At what price do you think of copper? Are they going to be satisfied? Is there a downward target that they're looking for? You think? Well, the first clue that investors have
1: to look at is 30,000 tons at, at today's price is about 280 million dollars. In a world of, of of global investors, this is something that would get soaked up by the market in a in a, in a fraction. It's nothing, and then. moves the market nobody wants to pay high prices for commodities the only reason that happens is because you actually run out and then there's a scramble but because of the the added um invisible hand which is which are these speculators when they come into the market they they disrupt this unholy alliance where what has been a relatively balanced market or a market that obviously people are very happy to pay a little bit lower for whatever commodity copper included we saw this over the past six or seven years and all of a sudden you had a radical price Uh, move higher and that was uh, I will submit to people done because speculators got involved and they they disrupted that and people were scrambling for material so the the global fabricators you know I continue to say is business going to be good for them is it going to be good for them there's a bit of nervousness now once again the delta variant is this going to slow down economies I I think you're going to see more and more uh, places starting to live with the virus and get moving on with, with business. I don't think it's going to be the Australia or New Zealand or Canada example, where they're locking in their economies. I think most people are going to move on and this stimulus money is still going into these massive energy projects. So if you're in any type of business making anything that creates transfers or utilizes electrical energy, business is going to be better and better and better. And that pressure is going to continue to be on the, on the real supply and demand of copper. And of course the chinese are the single biggest buyer so i believe and i firmly believe that this spoofing or this selling of a, of a tiny portion of, of their of the global copper market and and of their what is only 17 18 19 days of of daily demand which is what they have in, in strategic copper reserves not the 200 days that you they would have in a strategic petroleum reserve this is something that not only are they going to stop doing this it's not sustainable it's going to go the other way. And yeah. I, I think you're going to see a place where many countries are going to want to have 50 and 100 days of whatever copper they use on a daily, weekly basis. They're going to want to have that fortified in some sort of a, a strategic uh, copper reserve.
0: Well, they, they, I mean, obviously, they think that the price of copper has run up already too much. So maybe they're not going to be buying, like you said, they're not going to be buying in uh, huge quantities anytime soon, right? Maybe there has to be some sort of other external catalyst that's going to prompt them to buy at these higher prices. Yeah. Maybe they're waiting for prices to come back down.
1: Yeah, but it's a global market. They won't. And once again, the people that make the things that create, transfer and utilize electrical energy, if their business is good, and we're talking about millions of people that, that manufacture these things all around the world, they're competing with them. And business is going to be good. And you will pay more because you're selling these products and you're getting the, the, the POs issued to make these products. And they're going to continue to buy copper, cable, transformers and motors. And it will not impact the price or the overall economics of these big projects if copper was to go up another um, dollar a pound for example hypothetically you know this does not disrupt the overall economics of these big projects which are being built because the only substitute is aluminum and aluminum will increasingly be used uh, to to uh, borrow a phrase from my friend Richard Ackerson, the CEO of Freeport Mac they asked him, well, what about substitution Is it for aluminum with the price of copper goes too high? He says, look, we're not going to be able to produce enough copper for the world talking the next three, five, seven years, because these projects are not going to be built. We cannot build them fast enough. And you're going to have to use aluminum for many applications because we will be in a copper shortage. And this does not play well to this dumping of what is a very small amount of copper to try to disrupt the copper price where you know competing in a global market. not going to work. it's not worked. We looked at now on this third auction the price of copper actually went up, not down yeah and it's not sustainable. Anything that's not sustainable will not continue. period.
0: Well uh, uh, talking about uh, trends now uh, Johnny, we've uh, you've been bullish on copper for quite a quite a while now. if you take a look at the copper price here, We'll see that its rally from two dollars a pound, roughly two dollars a pound last year, all the way up to four dollars and fifty cents. Beyond four fifty cents at the height of this year, now it's come back down to just about, just about four dollars, uh, uh, four dollars and change. So that's still a hundred percent appreciation, despite the fall we've had from this year. We still a hundred percent appreciation from last year. Is this trend sustainable?
1: Yeah, it's it's amazing how fickle investors are. Copper is near its all-time high the all-time high which occurred back in the 2011 period was about four dollars and sixty cents a pound Copper's currently trading around 430 425 somewhere there we're we're within an onion skin of the old all-time high and of course as everyone can appreciate as i've already alluded to when the the the, the all-time high was surpassed earlier this year there was no euphoria in the market david there was no ebullience so that will come I believe the the overwhelming fundamentals are there. And now we look quarter after quarter, the companies that are gonna move the needle, which are the large mining companies, those board of directors are meeting and they've met again. And I think there's a lot more confidence. Uh, Who makes up a board of directors of a large copper mining company? Well, they're typically accountants and lawyers and, and people that are very risk averse. So when the market was bad, they were curtailing and not spending. But now when you look at what investors want if they want to be rewarded with a higher share price with a growth oriented type of business and of course the copper business is going to be very good for many reasons that we've talked about over the last uh, months and years you know they need to also show growth so the question is where are they these are the companies that move the needle for juniors where are they going to allocate capital because what they're also thinking about and they're also considering are those classic large copper mining camps where you have a little bit of some e- election risk, and I would say future election risk, and some royalty things are changing, and, and taxes are maybe a little bit unknown, but all probably going higher, not lower. And you also have this happening in the Copper Belt in, in a country like Zambia. So when they're looking at spending $3, $4, 5000000000 billion on, on developing a large copper project, a lot of that's coming back, and they're saying, we got to focus on places like Arizona nevada like australia right and that's where the copper bank and our strategy is paying dividends we have not been sitting on our on our hands all summer we've been talking about moving our projects forward and with that we are looking to significantly fortify the copper bank team and i will once again uh suggest that people follow our news flow there are going to be very few copper juniors That are going to drive news like copper bank for the rest of this year and into 2022 and and it's following these next steps and people you know can follow us on our on our website or what have you and as we get through labor day i I will also uh, submit to people that it's the the market in general it looks like it wants to wake up again and we saw the volumes and i'm talking about the world's uh, largest exchange for junior type of uh, resource development companies which is the toronto stock exchange venture we saw volumes are now one quarter of what they were in the in the February euphoric highs, and even from like the May and June period, it's ha- less than half the volume. So the velocity of money has left this environment or left left this 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 arena, and, but that's coming back because it's it, it's it's we're, we're closer to the bottom than we are the top, and that mm-hmm. velocity of money is going to rush back into these things, and there's very few opportunities where the, 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 the large money is gonna um, participate in. And I, I, I believe it's gonna be things that have uh, exposure to copper, that are very well situated, managed by, by, by really triple A blue ribbon teams that have performance history, that have proven track records, but they have to have projects that are moving forward in places that larger companies are gonna to wanna to do commerce. And that all comes back to Arizona and Nevada which is why I continue to say Copper Bank has a distinct advantage over many, many of, of other companies that are listed um, in, in the copper junior space.
0: Okay, Johnny. Uh, now let's talk about let's end on the announcement that you have for us. You have a change in leadership for uh, Copper Bank. Is that true?
1: Well, it's it's an adjustment. Correct. So we want to have like a, like a true team, and there's you have to have different different disciplines and different strengths. So. I am not a technical process person. That needs to be led by someone that has, as I said, has the proven track record and the pedigree and, 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 and the success to, as we allocate shareholder money, because our, our our objective at Copper Bank is not to spend a fortune of cash to on the project. The money's already been spent already. We have, it would take over $120 million to duplicate everything that's already occurred in our portfolio. And as we say internally, we we look at the puzzle. The pieces are all basically there, and by that I mean all the different studies and all the all the different um, established um, historical results that have already occurred on these projects. It's really about putting them in a different formation and maybe augmenting some of the work just to give us a little more confidence, to give the market more confidence. And how is that going to be presented to as as I as I suggested to companies larger than Copper Bank because they're the ones that not only move the needle. For juniors, they're the ones that could move the needle on a company like Copper Bank. They're the ones we want to talk to. Don't argue with the customer. You have a project. What do they need? De-risked on a project on projects like ours. That is what we're addressing. And that is what people will see with this uh, as we augment management and, and the leadership of Copper Bank. And I will continue to be one of the, uh, the, 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 the largest shareholders of the company. Very involved. Um, I'm a director and I'll be I'll be there more in a sort of a communication role okay. and um, trying to communicate the results that our team is going to provide uh, with, a, with with the news flow over the over the rest of this year and into 2022.
0: OK, now, Johnny, before I let you go, um, we did talk about uh, the copper price performance leading up to this year. And earlier in the year, you had come on the show late last December. You had said that the Green New Deal will propel copper and a bunch of other base metals to new new highs this year, and so far, you were correct. I wanna know what the next catalyst will be. What's gonna push us to $6, perhaps even $7, if ever we'll see those prices.
1: Well, going through the all-time high, that was that was last year's story. The Green New Deal and it becoming a page one story and fringe investors getting involved in this space in whatever category. But what pushes copper to, to levels that people couldn't even imagine, it's one word, engineering. Engineering when you understand the the various levels um, In the economics of and where the projects the future projects that we that are currently resources that cannot become reserves Unless the copper price stays at these higher levels and probably goes much higher Is engineering? There's they have not been able to reinvent the wheel the copper industry like so many other industries namely oil and gas Where it, for many many innovations and many many technologies and the reason is we already extract over 90% of the copper metal from the rock at every pro- almost every project around the world. So it's millimetrical progress, smarter trucks, ore sorting, a little bit of efficiencies here, there are a few percent, few percent. But are we gonna be able to triple copper production in a certain geographical area because of this, like they did in oil and gas? Of course not. We need to go and mine at higher elevation with no infrastructure and. You know, water, and all the other issues that everyone uh, should be well aware of, and the only way that's going to be possible is to make it a reserve for the engineers, and that is why the copper price is going to go to, to levels that most people can't even imagine. And, and then of course, at times, there's going to be the speculators that come in that really push it to a level that it probably doesn't deserve to be, but um, this copper, under the, the planet's aligning at seven, eight, nine dollars a pound. Let's
0: see. Maybe by then uh, the Chinese government will try to flood the market again. <laughs> we'll see. We'll follow up new more as the uh, price develops. Thank you so much for coming on the show today, Johnny. It's a pleasure.
1: Thank you, and have a very good uh, Labor Day weekend, David. Thank you.
0: Thank you, and thank you for watching Kiko News. I'm David Lin.